Welcome to this Touch podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Oncology. In this podcast, three breast cancer experts discuss the expanding targeted treatment options for HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer, with a focus on approved and emerging antibody drug conjugates and considerations for their use in clinical practice. The discussion is guided by pre-canvassed questions provided by healthcare professionals. This activity is funded by an independent medical education grant from Gilead Sciences, Inc. This activity is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. Hello, I am Giuseppe Curigliano. Welcome to this educational activity on new and emerging agents in R2 negative metastatic breast cancer. We will discuss about implications for current and future practice. I am joined today by Professor Hope Rugo and Professor Peter Schmidt. And the first topic we are going to discuss is treatment over two negative metastatic breast cancer. Where do we go from here? So you know perfectly that breast cancer is not a single disease. We have HR positive HER2 negative disease and the HR status will include presence of estrogen receptor and progestinic receptor or both or absence of estrogen receptor and progestinic receptor. Of course, there are two negative diseases defined according to ASCO-CAP, and we know perfectly that actually almost 80% of patients are HER2 negative. It's essential to understand that now we have a new clinical entity, it's not a molecular entity, but a clinical entity that is there to low disease because we have the potential, of course, to treat this patient population with an antibody drug conjugated. So when we discuss about HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer, we have a Pandora box. Many agents, SERMs, aromatase inhibitors, SERD, CDK46 inhibitors, PI3 kinase, AKT and mTOR inhibitors, PARP inhibitors, and of course, antibody drug conjugated. The standard of care for HER2 negative disease, at least for the HR positive population, is endocrine therapy, plus CDK46 inhibitors. In the second line, we have still endocrine therapy plus a treatment that should be selected according to the expression of a biomarker. And finally, we have the use of antibody drug conjugated. So now I would like to turn to Professor Hop Rugo and Professor Peter Schmidt for a panel discussion. So I have the first question for Professor Hop Rugo. So which are the challenges to treat patients with their two negative disease? Well, of course, this is a very broad question. We divide HER2 negative disease into hormone receptor positive and triple negative disease. And for the hormone receptor positive cohort, uh, we use sequential endocrine therapy with targeted agents when appropriate, followed by sequential chemotherapy. And for triple negative disease, we really have used sequential chemotherapy. The uh, challenges, you know, the advances that we've had are important. We know that there are targeted agents that we can add to both endocrine therapy and for triple negative disease to chemotherapy to improve outcome. But the big challenge is understanding appropriate sequencing of these different treatment options in order to optimize both patient outcome. And in that, we mean improving survival as much as possible uh, delaying progression of disease, but optimizing quality of life. Uh, and, you know, we, we really don't have the tools to 
to best sequence these agents. For triple negative disease, for example, we have our sequential chemotherapy agents. Uh, the one thing we know is that if a patient has immune markers with pdl one we should give immunotherapy with chemotherapy first because it doesn't work as well afterwards. Uh, but sequentially, otherwise, we basically use the drugs that allow us to improve survival as early as possible, as early as we have regulatory approval in the treatment sequence. For hormone receptor positive disease, we use hormone therapy combined with targeted agents using our CDK4-6 inhibitors first, followed by other targeted agents. Uh, and then we switch to sequential single agent chemotherapy. We have antibody drug conjugates that we now use that have been shown to improve survival as well. But ongoing studies are really trying to optimize sequencing for the patients based on these markers. I think really our future needs to be finding specific markers that will help us sequence treatment for individual patients as best as possible, since we're seeing the development of resistance to multiple agents earlier in the course of therapy, uh, given our new agents. Thank you very much, Hope. So, Peter, across the spectrum, over two negative metastatic breast cancer, including HR positive and HR negative, can you provide an overview of what new agents we should be aware of and what are the approved indications? Thank you, Giuseppe. I, I think there are four or five different options. If you start with, with, with ER positive disease, there, there, there clearly is a lot of development going on in, in trying to find better endocrine therapies. And it started with the development of all certs, the first compounds being approved with, with most of the benefits seen in patients with ears of all mutations. But it's going beyond that with serans, circas, or protax, different mechanisms of estrogen receptor targeting agents being in advanced clinical stages of development and hopefully coming through very soon. The second area, again, is around endocrine therapy in your positive disease, but that's focusing on the second drug we are adding to endocrine therapy. We spoke about CDK4-6 inhibitors. There's a number of drugs being in development and some of them already approved, targeting the PR3K AKT mTOR pathway. We've approved drugs for targeting PR3K and mTOR. And we have interesting data with AKT inhibitors where we would expect those drugs to be approved in the not-too-distant futures. Again, with developments ongoing in, in, in novel PR3 kinase inhibitors, which try to be more effective and, and slightly better tolerated than the existing drugs. We will move on to ADCs later on, which play a, an increasing role in both ear-positive and triple-negative disease. You mentioned briefly immune therapy, which obviously at the moment only plays a role in triple-negative breast cancer in the group of patients with both pedal one positive tumors. But again, there are attempts ongoing to widen the target indication, for example, with novel combinations with, with, with ADCs. And finally, we're still working on DNA damage repair targeted agents with PARP inhibitors, obviously already approved in patients with germline BRCA1 or 2 mutations. But there is expansion work ongoing, trying to widen the target indication, for example, the patients with other germline mutations or patients with somatic mutations in those pathways, in addition to new drugs being developed. Thanks a lot, Peter. So, Hope, I have another question for you. How do you identify the optimal treatment for HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer? This is a huge challenge for us. I think, you know, we have the standard of sequential endocrine therapy, then chemotherapy for HR-positive disease, and sequential chemotherapy uh, with that caveat that the uh, patients who have the immune marker pdl one receive immunotherapy in the first-line setting. So then what do we do on top of that to identify the optimal treatment for each patient? 
for patients who have triple negative disease, uh, we're definitely looking uh, now at this sort of HER2 low category that we poorly understand and apparently poorly identify as well in order to identify specific ADCs that we might be giving patients. And the same is true in hormone receptor positive disease when we get to the chemotherapy option. And that I think is the one thing that we're using now to try and sequence a little bit more. We use the clinical phenotype as well. For example, does a patient have brain metastases or more visceral dominant disease in order to determine uh, the optimal strategy? For HR positive disease, we can look at mutations in PIK3CA, ESR1, uh, somatic mutations in BRCA, in HER2, and then germline mutations in BRCA for both hormone receptor positive and triple negative disease in order to understand where we can put targeted agents in to treatment before we get to the chemotherapy option. And at the same time, we're trying to move the chemo, the new chemotherapies, the antibody drug conjugates, as early as possible to see whether or not they further improve outcome. So, Peter, to you, the conclusion and the most important question, how to sequence treatment in her two negative metastatic breast cancer, considering two different pathways, the HR positive and the HR negative? Thank you, Giuseppe. I think defining the optimal sequences sounds like an easy task, but it's actually clinically really difficult because we haven't got good trials that look into different sequences of therapies. What we're doing in the clinic is we look at what we think is always the most effective therapy in a, let's say, a first line, second line, third line setting. We also look at how those treatments may be approved and therefore available for patients. We obviously look at the patient, assess their disease, look at how rapidly progressing or not the disease, whether there's visceral involvement, also, whether we have some predictive biomarker, ESO1 and, 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 and PIK3CA were mentioned earlier for, for, for hormone therapy or PDL1 for, for, for immune therapy. The bottom line is ultimately, we, this is not a very rational decision. It's, it, it's based around a discussion with the patient uh, and often the patient preferences and, and the disease situation has to play a role in there as well. Just to mention one of the recent trials that actually looked into sequences, Sonia trial, which was really interesting because giving CDK4-6 inhibitor in a first-line setting is clearly leading to a better progression-free survival. But this trial assessed whether we need to give those drugs in a first or second-line setting with a crossover design. And whilst there was a benefit after the first line of treatment, we're starting with the CDK4-6 inhibitor, if patients were switched over after the second treatment, there was no difference be between both, both strategies. That came as a surprise to, to some people, but just highlights the need for having, having effective, prospectively tri planned trials that look into treatment sequences. Thanks a lot, Peter. HER2 negative disease is not a single disease, but is a spectrum of disease mainly based on HR expression. So we have two different treatment algorithms for HR positive and HR negative disease. Uh, one size doesn't fit all. We understand perfectly this. We have an emerging number of new treatments. And the main question is how to select them according to the magnitude of clinical benefit. And finally, is there any biomarker to predict the activity of those specific agents? And we can learn more about this topic in the two other videos in this series. Thank you very much. In this educational module, we will discuss about current antibody drug conjugates for HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer consideration for use. 
So we have actually two antibody drug conjugated recently approved, trastuzumab deruxtecan, that is approved for both HER2 positive disease and HER2 low, immune histochemical 1 plus, 2 plus with fish non amplified. Usually the label is for patients who received at least endocrine therapy plus CDK for six inhibitors and one line of chemotherapy. And then we have sachituzumab govitecan, that is an anti-trop 2 antibody drug conjugated for unresectable, locally advanced, triple negative breast cancer, and recently also HR positive breast cancer, following two prior systemic therapies for triple negative, and following endocrine-based therapy and two additional systemic therapy for HR positive HER2 negative disease. So actually, we have antibody drug conjugated approved as a second or third line treatments for HER2 negative, HER2 low, and triple negative metastatic breast cancer. As you know perfectly, the pivotal clinical trial for HR positive disease are the Destiny Breast at 04, demonstrating an overall survival benefit and a median progression-free survival benefit. This is for trastuzumab deruxtecan. For sachituzumab agovitecan, we have the ancient trial demonstrating a progression-free survival and an overall survival benefit in the triple negative disease. And the Tropics 02, demonstrating a median progression-free survival improvement and a median overall survival for HR-positive HER2-negative disease. The spectrum of toxicities is completely different. We have some class drug toxicity that is related mainly to neutropenia, leukopenia, and gastrointestinal toxicity like nausea and vomiting. And then we have specific side effects related to any of the single ADCs. ILD is the most common toxicity of trastuzumab deruxtecan, the incidence in the destiny breast at 0.4 is between 12% and 15%. And for sachituzumab agovitecan, we know perfectly that diarrhea is the most common side effect. Usually we have 51% of patients with neutropenia and with the grade three or more diarrhea, we have close to 10% of patients. Of course, we need also to understand that we can manage this type of toxicity. So I will start with the first question for Professor Hop Rugo. So how do you identify patients with HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer that may benefit from an antibody drug conjugated? Is there any biomarker, Hope? You know, it's such a great question. I think um, the one thing that we have today is that there is an antibody drug conjugate for everyone, which is great. Um, so basically we have, uh, for a triple negative disease, we have the phase three ascent trial, no specific selection required other than having uh, hormone receptor negative, herting negative disease. So uh, that's, a, that's great because we don't need the further selection. Uh, for patients who have hormone receptor positive disease, we're also thinking about whether or not their immunohistochemistry for HER2 is low, so to speak, one plus or two plus without gene amplification. And then we're really making a decision about the sequencing of antibody drug conjugates. Do we use trastuzumab dorextecan first, followed by sasetuzumab govotecan, which I think is really uh, the approach right now because the approval of trastuzumab dorextecan, which is given every three weeks, is in the uh, second and third line, whereas sasetuzumab govotecan for HR positive disease is later line. 
Uh, but then there's a group of patients who don't have HER2 low. Uh, we know that about two thirds of HR positive disease are HER2 low. So we have a third of patients who aren't are really IHT zero. And in that situation, if we've never seen a HER2 low finding, uh, we would use sasetuzumab go with TCAN. So we're really, as I said, I mean, I think that all patients in this setting, when we're giving chemotherapy, uh, so we still use hormone therapy with targeted agents sequentially first, all patients can potentially benefit from treatment with one of our two approved antibody drug conjugates. And then in the US, we're generally using both agents, at least in some sort of sequence, whether you sandwich it with another drug in between or not, uh, we really don't know what the benefits are, but there are a number of sequencing studies that will help us understand the benefits of these agents given uh, one after the other or with uh, treatments in between. Thanks a lot, Rob. So exciting new agents, but a new spectrum of toxicities. So Peter, what are the key side effects of antibody drug conjugated and how to manage them? Yeah, a really important point, Giuseppe. The first thing to say is really with these ADCs, we have to all get to terms with new side effects. We, 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 have, we have had to learn that the side effects can either be driven by the target or by the payload. And you can't just conclude that one ADC has side effects or the other, a similar ADC may have this, the same side effect profile. If you look at uh, Sacatuzumab, Covitican, the, the, the key side effects in clinical practice are, are neutropenia and diarrhea. But actually, over, uh, over the years, we have now learned how to manage those side effects optimally, for example, with GCSF, but also when you look at diarrhea, for example, with loperamide co-medication. And, and in reality, uh, that, that, that can be very well managed. Similarly, with gestuzumab deruxticam, we have identified ILD probably as the side effect most people are most nervous about, interstitial lung, uh, uh, interstitial lung disease. So a form of pneumonitis, again, where we have learned how best to monitor and intervene and therefore, uh, and therefore manage those patients optimally. But of course, there are side effects beyond that. For example, for gestuzumab deruxticam, we have cardiotoxicity as we have with all drugs that target HER2, and we have very well-established uh, uh, ways of monitoring and, and dealing with this. We also had to learn that the, the, the timings of those side effects with, with, with ADCs are slightly different to what we know with chemotherapy. For example, nausea is one of the side effects we had to learn how best to manage with both sagituzumab and, and justuzumab deruxtecan and can be slightly longer than with some chemotherapies, but again, responds very well to our antimetic therapy. Thanks a lot, Peter. So we discussed about diarrhea, neutropenia, inflammatory lung disease, hope. So how many times should you monitor the patients? which is the number of access to the day hospital in order to manage this, uh, this uh, type of side effects? That's such an important question. And I think that it involves two parts. One is prevention. So we want to do as much as we can to prevent side effects. And uh, for nausea, which is the most common toxicity for trastuzumab, deruxtecan, using an appropriate pre-medication, and you can use a triplet to start with. Some patients don't get as much nausea as others. So you can definitely taper off, but starting strong is really important. Sasetizumab, govitecan uh, as well. We use a really nice, you know, uh, pre-medication approach for nausea that includes two or three drugs. But uh, we found that some, you know, the nausea from trastuzumab deruxtecan tends to be a little bit longer. So we use agents like olanzapine and other uh, as-needed antiemetics to try and manage this because it can extend out to 10 days or longer. 
Uh, for some patients, uh, that requires dose reduction. But for most patients, I think we can really manage it with our medications. For uh, the other side effects, it's really a big issue in terms of monitoring. So uh, for sesotizumab, gobatecan, it's uh, neutropenia and diarrhea. And we generally tend to tell patients to report in for the diarrhea so that we can manage it expectantly, um, as Peter mentioned earlier. And then for neutropenia, we're generally checking when patients come back in for their infusion since we have a day eight uh, timing as well as coming back to the next cycle. But patients who've had neutropenia requiring growth factors in their prior cycle, we tend to use growth factors up front. And we use the long-acting pegfilcrastum after day eight, sometimes to replace all of the short-acting drug. TDXD really, uh, I think, trastezumab can provides the biggest challenge in terms of monitoring because we want to find interstitial lung disease early, pneumonitis, before patients are symptomatic. So it's important to understand risk factors, multiple lines of treatment, renal insufficiency, hypoxia, and to do your scans really uh, concordant with your risk. So we do CTs, and it can be a non-contrast diagnostic CT of the chest every six to nine weeks starting. We know that almost all ILD will show itself in the first year after starting treatment and be less frequent afterwards, but that mortality is a risk. So this monitoring is really important in order to understand which patients have ground glass opacities, hold drug, and use steroids early. Uh, and I think that makes the biggest difference in improving outcome for our patients. Thanks a lot, Hope. And now a final question for uh, Peter. So you are a pioneer in combination treatment of ADCs plus other agents like immunotherapy. So to what we are learning about the management of these side effects, and uh, can you give you specifically a discussion on the potential combination of ADCs with other agents and the management of uh, synergistic side effects? That's a complex area, Giuseppe. So, so I think the first thing uh, I would say is, is experience, and experience goes through the whole team, is, is, is key with all these new drugs. And as we learned, for example, the past with HER2 targeted therapies, when 20 years ago we were anxious about, about some of those side effects, now it's, 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 it's really routine and, and driven by everyone in the team. The same we are learning with ADCs. As the teams get more and more experienced, we are getting better at detecting those side effects early and intervening very early. And those are the two key things, early detection, early intervention. We've learned the same with diarrhea, for example, with sacrituzumab, with nausea across all the ADCs. That's, for me, really a, a, a key point. Now, if you want to combine different drugs, which is obviously not the currently approved indication, but, for example, immune therapy ADCs, those trials are ongoing, and the early data are really exciting. It is coming back to the same thing, we, 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 but, but it gets a bit difficult knowing which of those drugs may drive a side effect. And experience comes in but also rational strategies, which one to tackle first. And, and, and early detection, early intervention are key. Ultimately, I think we will make those combinations work in the same way as we, we have learned how to make single-agent therapy with these novel ADCs work very well. Thanks a lot, Peter. So exciting times for HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. We have new antibody drug conjugated that dramatically improve it median progression-free survival and overall survival in both HR-positive and HER2-negative disease. Of course, new agents, new side effects. It's really essential to remember that we can manage the side effects and we can improve the outcome of patients. 
Of course, uh, you can learn more about this topic in the two other videos of this series. Thank you very much. We will discuss in this educational module about emerging ADCs for two negative metastatic breast cancer, the future trends. We have many new ADCs that are really exciting. The first one is an anti-TROP2 ADCs, Datopotumab deruxtecan, and actually there are ongoing three registration trials. The tropion pan tumor one for relapsed or refractory unresectable metastatic breast cancer. Finally, of course, some preliminary data have been presented for both HR positive and triple negative disease. Then we have the tropion breast 01 and the tropion breast 02. Again, both of them, the first one for HR positive R2 negative breast cancer who received one or two prior lines of chemotherapy and the tropion breast 02 for locally recurrent inoperable metastatic triple negative breast cancer, not candidates to anti-PD-1, PDL1 inhibitors. Then we have another antibody drug conjugated that is the Cetamab vedotin. A phase three is actually ongoing for R2 low locally advanced or metastatic breast cancer that received a previous treatment with antracyclines and one or two prior chemotherapy regimens. We have also Ladiratuzumab vedotin. Some phase one trial data have been presented for both HR positive and triple negative disease with interesting data of activity and patritumab deruxtecan, the anti-R3 antibody drug conjugated. Currently uh, uh, ongoing investigations are in a phase two trial in which uh, we have data for HR positive and triple negative breast cancer. And there is uh, the Icarus breast zero one trial for HR positive, HER2 negative, unresectable, locally advanced, or metastatic breast cancer. So let's now start with the panel discussion, of course. And uh, I would like to ask uh, to Professor Hope Rugo, how do you think emerging ADCs may impact in the future landscape of HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer? Well, it, I think it's a really important question that we don't completely know the answer to. We have a, now a whole host of antibody drug conjugates that seem to have significant clinical efficacy I and mean, really remarkable effects from the two approved ADCs in the FER2 negative uh, spectrum of diseases in the metastatic setting. And what we also know is that the efficacy of these ADCs is impacted by many different factors, including, of course, most, I think, understandably, the antibody target and the payload. And we don't understand well the interaction between the antibody payload and the target. So for example, if you had a different antibody, but a similar uh, payload target, would that mean that the drug would still be uh, have efficacy? So how will the these emerging ADCs impact the treatment landscape is going to be uh, dependent on us understanding this uh, sequencing efficacy as well as better understanding mechanisms of resistance. Uh, right now, I think that uh, where I see this is that ADCs may largely replace standard chemotherapy as we move these drugs into the early uh, stage setting and earlier in the line of therapy for metastatic disease. And that we're, what we're going to have to do is to understand uh, which is the best foot to put forward first. 
uh, and we don't understand that now. And so we're going to need additional uh, tumor and patient factors to understand how to sequence these drugs. But I really feel like we're going to be able to overcome uh, large uh, issues relating to resistance with the host of drugs we have. More is better. Uh, and uh, hopefully cure more patients with uh, high-risk breast cancer. Thanks a lot, Hope. So for Peter, I have this uh, specific question. Uh, this, uh, this is a question more related uh, to area of clinical research. So uh, which is the rationale to combine ADCs? And finally, in your opinion, which is the best way to overcome resistance related to the payload or to the target, of course? Thank you, Giuseppe. Interesting two questions. The first uh, around combinations. Uh, again, the idea, the hope is always that we increase the, the, the efficacy, obviously, but there are different strategies that are being pursued. I'm, I'm actually quite enthusiastic about the combinations with immune checkpoint inhibitors, and I will explain in a second why. The second area of combinations can be ADCs combined with ADCs, and I think this, this is something that hasn't been explored much, but, but can be explored going forward. I think the third combination, ADC with small molecules, I'm slightly less enthusiastic about because it is of, as, as combining chemotherapy because ultimately ADCs are targeted chemotherapy with small molecules, which with the exception of a few situations hasn't shown to be, to, to be the, the, the optimal way forward. So let's go back to the ADC immune therapy combination. There's increasing data that both concepts enhance each other. And, and our hope is that we can also widen the target population for, for immune therapy. So by giving an ADC, we can possibly make immune therapy work in patients where otherwise immune therapy mightn't work. If you look at the available data, for, for example, begonia, the data with two arms, TDXT targeting HER2, and data DXT targeting CHOP2, what we saw was in patients who were predominantly pdl one negative, so where immune therapy normally doesn't play a role, we saw responses up to nearly 80% in a first-line metastatic setting. And if you put this into context in the phase three trials of chemotherapy and immune therapy in PD1 negative patients, the response rates were around 40 to 45%. So a hugely encouraging signal that shows there's possibly a synergistic activity and possibly a widening of the target population. The second area of ADC-ADC combinations hasn't been explored, but the idea is using or utilizing two different targets, but, and therefore overcoming some of the limitations by heterogeneic expression. And, 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 and it's a speculation whether that may lead us forward. Well, we obviously need to work out how best to use this in terms of side effect profiles. And that's something we, 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 need, to be, we need to look at as we go forward. Looking at resistance strategies and rational strategies Again, our understanding is only just emerging, as Hope mentioned, in a very simplistic way. We know there's resistance to the target and there can be resistance to the payload, and sometimes it's resistance to both. We are not very good at this point in time in identifying which of those two main mechanisms drives the resistance in a, in a patient, but I'm confident that we will make progress there and learn this, and this will guide us to have, for example, a rational strategy of a CHOP2 ADC followed by a different CHOP2 ADC or a switch from CHOP2 ADC to a HER2 targeting ADCs. And I think that will come as more and more of those agents become available. Thanks a lot, Peter. So, Hope, uh, we know perfectly that uh, all approved ADCs uh, demonstrated uh, a dramatic clinical benefit in later lines of treatment. So what if we move 
in the first line setting, both ADCs. And the second question is related uh, to spatial populations like patients with brain meds. Can you focus on these two questions, please? So important as we move forward. I mean, I think you can uh, hear our excitement about the antibody drug conjugates and how we're looking at both using them in sequence as well as in combination with immunotherapy. Uh, but I think that the, uh, the always the direction when we have effective agents remarkably improving survival is to move them as early as possible in the metastatic setting. So there are now first-line trials looking at uh, these two antibody drug conjugates that are approved in the first-line setting and, interestingly, uh, the experimental newer antibody drug conjugates, which will assume in the next year present data using the agents earlier in lines of therapy. We're also uh, looking, as Peter mentioned, at combinations with immunotherapy and earlier lines of therapy as well. Um, and this is really important, the use of antibody drug conjugates in the post-neoadjuvant setting. So after patients have had neoadjuvant therapy for triple negative disease and have residual disease, rescuing these patients with antibody drug conjugates, but another way of assessing the value of these agents is to give them first in the neoadjuvant setting not just for triple negative disease, but for patients with high-risk hormone receptor positive breast cancer as well, where we're beginning to understand, as Peter mentioned earlier, the benefits of immunotherapy in a specific subset of patients as well. So there are a lot of areas where we are moving these agents. Now, brain metastases remain a huge unmet need in the treatment of our patients with uh, all subtypes of breast cancer across HER2 hormone receptor status, but we know that the most aggressive subsets of breast cancer have earlier um, and more difficult to treat brain metastases, as well as the impossible to treat leptomeningeal disease. We've seen some early evidence of efficacy with antibody drug conjugates in the treatment of patients with brain metastases. So that's opened up a whole new area where there are trials looking at the efficacy of antibody drug conjugates in patients with brain mets. And even more importantly, at the ability of these antibody drug conjugates to prevent or delay the development of brain metastases. So this could make a huge difference for us in the future. Thanks a lot, Hop. This was an exciting discussion. So just to summarize, we have many new ADCs under development. Of course, thanks a lot for attending this educational activity. And you can learn more on this topic on the other two videos of this series. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Touch podcast. You can access more content on this and related topics on Touch Oncology at www.touchoncology.com. Do keep checking back for updates as we launch further activities on HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer.